And at the same time, while I was saying all these things, I didn't even see that in myself. I was telling other women to see that in themselves, like embrace your inner femininity. Like you don't know who you are. You're a part of like this treasure house of spirituality and greatness and colossus. And meanwhile, I never saw that in myself because I didn't want to look at it. Again, not out of malice, just because it was too challenging for me. That after Savari didn't stretch far enough into myself, and I never applied it to myself. Hi, I'm Tanya, and you're listening to episode 14 of Human and Holy, a podcast by The Tanya Project, where we discuss spiritual ideas in human terms. Today's episode is sponsored Le'ilor Nishmas Yochavit Tova Bas Avraham, in honor of her upcoming birthday. When a soul leaves this world, the most precious thing we can do for them are the mitzvot that they no longer have the physical body to fulfill. Wish Yocheved a happy birthday over the next couple weeks by committing to a small resolution on doitforyocheved.com. To sponsor an episode or become a supporter on Patreon, please reach out at humanandholy at gmail.com. In today's episode, I speak with Rachelea Taktuk about bringing God into our lives and letting him into the most intimate spaces. Rachelea speaks about the concept of Achtos Hashem, how she began to see the truth of God's presence in the entire world and felt so excited and empowered to share it with others. And then, at a certain point, she realized, this thing I believe for the entire world, I do not believe within myself. I believe that God is present in even the blade of grass, but I cannot find him within me. Join us as Rachelea speaks about acknowledging her internal battles as part of her divine service. We all have corners of our lives we like to believe are not part of the broader mission, but when it comes to the truth of God's presence, no corner of our lives can be left untouched. Hello, everyone. My name is Rachelea Taktuk, used to be Boteach. I just got married. I'm now living in Florida. I am the, I don't like using the word creator, <laughs> but I am the founder and creator of the Thirsty Souls. Yeah, and I'm so honored to be here. Tell us what Thirsty Souls is. So basically, Thirsty Souls is very dear to my heart. It's like my first child. I don't think I'll say that anymore when I actually have a child. <laughs> but um, basically, the Thirsty Souls came about when I was 18 years old. I was in my note. I was learning day and night. I couldn't get enough. I felt like I was finally coming into myself it was wow. the greatest year of my life. I just, I was in the heart of Israel, in the heart of Jerusalem. I was with my friends, I had my independence, and I just studied all day. And before this, I had had a Chabad education. I went to Beis Rivka for five, four years, and I was raised Chabad. I had a very strong Chabad education, but I went to modern Orthodox schools, and I never really learned Hasidus on my own. I was young, and I didn't really connect to it yet, but I had a very strong identity from my home. So I went to my note. My note was the first time where I really got lost in learning. It was just the most incredible year for me to be in the heart of Israel, the heart of Jerusalem, learning Hasidus, learning Torah all day. But I remember being introduced to the Sicha. And again, like I had this kind of education, 
in Basurfka, but I, I never like touched my heart really. It was kind of like everything I had was from home. So I was just learning all of this magnificent Hasidus that was changing my life. And I couldn't believe that I had like never learned this on my own before. I couldn't believe it took me until I was 18, 19 to learn this. And I remember being introduced to the Sikha. I started learning Sikha weekly with one of the shluchas there. Her name is Sterna. She was amazing. I didn't know how to read a Sikha. I didn't know what anything meant. Absolutely nothing. Wow. And I remember like I was very attached to the sources in the Sikha, in any of these Sikhas that we learned. And I realized that the Rebbe was creating this like kaleidoscopic vision of an idea that was pulled from hundreds of sources throughout the Torah. And I was like, that's amazing. It was incredible. I saw this like tapestry of Torah from everywhere. It was something that I had never really experienced before. For me, it was like either Tanya or Parsha. And I was like, I need to do this on my own. I want to have that ability to pull sources from a thousand different places. I started sitting on my own. I want to be able to create something like that. And I want to share it. I, I was desperate to share. So every like Thursday night, I'd sit in the base midrash and I would write something for the Parsha. And it was my way of sharing. I felt like I was in the, a little bubble, in my own bubble. And I was like, I can't be learning all this incredible stuff that is truly like in every cliche way, changing my life and not share it with the world. So every Thursday night, I sat in the base midrash for myself and I had like a few different him. And I wrote up like a weekly Parsha piece on Facebook. And I immediately, I didn't even think about it. I called it the Thirsty Souls. I always wrote in caps, in like capital letters. I was like, welcome Thirsty Souls. Or I wrote like to the Thirsty Souls. And that right. really captured the feeling that I had. I was just, oh, I need Hasidus. I need truth. It was such a special time for me to be in Israel, learning Hasidus away from my family, at like some independent time. So that's how the Thirsty Soul started. It started as a weekly Facebook post. And after that, I realized that we're a very visual generation. And I determined to make this as big as I possibly could. I came home after Israel. And I remember going to my father. My father and I are very close. And he's also a teacher. And I said to him, I'm feeling empty, like not teaching anymore. And my father has a pretty big Facebook following. And he's like, you have to start a video, a weekly video on my Facebook. And I was like, no way. No, I don't want to. I don't want everyone to see me. It's so embarrassing. It's just awkward. And he's like, you really have to. You have to keep teaching. And he's like, think of a name right now. I was like, the thirsty soul. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. <laughs> I was like, I already had this. So it was like a perfect opportunity. I was like, I'm going to take that weekly thing that I did in Israel and I'm going to make it into videos. And that's what I did. So I've been teaching ever since on the thirsty soul. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really yeah. cool to hear how it started. Yeah. Inspired in Israel <laughs> and then a group yeah. in there. Yeah. So yeah. thanks for sharing the backstory of Thirsty <laughs> Souls. You can check her out, obviously, on all social media platforms, as she mentioned. So today we're going to be discussing this topic, very broad topic, but something that you really connect to in your life, which is so beautiful. The topic of Achdos Hashem, the unity of Hashem, and how God can and does if we allow him to infiltrate every single corner of our lives and our personalities, et cetera. So I would like for you, before we begin talking about your personal life, can you just introduce the topic of Achdus Hashem? What is this idea? How would you explain it? So when I was in Israel and I had just started learning Chassidus, there were two of my marim that I learned that absolutely changed my life and completely changed the way I saw the world. In my opinion, the 24 books of the Torah, every Navi that ever lived, every Jewish leader that ever lived, the Rebbe, Moshe Rabbeinu, whoever it is, the entire Torah of the five Chumashim are just a reminder of truth. It's a piece of truth that reminds me, that reminds all of us who we are, where we come from, what we're about, 
what is our mission on this earth? What are we doing here? And I've always been very fixated on truth. I think that the more precious something is to me and the more the more truthful something is, the more I'm afraid to share it because I, I feel um, like I'll never do justice to it. And what I want to share today is not something necessarily that I learned. It's something that like actually happened to me. I feel like it, it happened on me. I feel like Hashem pushed me through this. Wow. Um, and I'll, it's so important. And by the end of this, you'll understand why. And this is really like my life's mission. I feel that this is my calling. But I'm so, I will dare to use the word obsessed with this because I really think that this is the answer. This is like the final step towards Mashiach. I think that Mashiach is just truth. I remember reading in another mime where the Rebbe said that a Jew is crushed by Golas. I think it was Ba'at HaTetzava. And I really understood that. And I was like, but what is it about Golas that makes me feel crushed? It's hurtful to look around the world and not see a truthful place. That people are living in denial. That the world is in a state of denial. It's not showing itself. It bothers me. Why are you not showing what you really are? And I think I went through that experience as well. Oh, through wow. the lens of Akhtar Sabari, I'm going to try my hardest. Hashem, please help me because it really is something so grand and so colossal to me. It's actually, I feel like I'm explaining myself. Sometimes when I give like a l'chaim to my parents or my husband, I'm like, l'chaim to my husband. Like, how do you explain, how do you say l'chaim to your husband? Like, how do you explain anything about anyone you really love that much? Like your parents. Words don't do justice to it. And I think I'm going through the same experience. I've been thinking about this podcast for so long because how do I explain like my life to or what I think life is to anyone. Okay, um, I'm excited. I hear that, like that energy. It's a, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. So I'm going to try my hardest to do it because it's, it's really very important to me. And I'm going to try to explain all of this through the lens of Akhtas Habare or Akhtas Hashem. I like to call it Akhtas Habare because those are the words from the mimer that I learned. I have a, such a real connection with this man that I've never met, with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Again, I was raised Chabad. There was a lot of drama with my parents on Shlichus and we, so I was born on Shlichus, but we left. And we moved to like this very modern Orthodox community. I never went to Chabad school until my sister came back from my note and was like, Mashiach's coming. And my parents were like, everyone needs to go to Chabad school. I promise. That's actually what happened. Wow. My parents pulled me out of my modern Orthodox day school, put me in Beisrif Grand Crown Heights, and I lived in like a cockroach infested apartment. When I went to Beisrifka, the one thing that I do thank Beisrifka so much for is that it gave me this Chabad identity that I really identify myself by this movement, more specifically by this the head of this movement, who's the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Again, I've never met the Rebbe. I've heard lots of stories and I see lots of pictures. and But I've never met the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And honestly, I can tell you truthfully, when I look at the Rebbe's face, I really see truth. And I think when you have this stark reminder of truth right in front of you, you really can't ignore it. That is what Hasidus did for me. Whenever I think about this concept in my mind, the first thing that jumps into my mind is this like little anecdote. I remember hearing my brother who went to Bernois for three weeks and was completely immersed in this environment told me that someone said that if you go to Tomchei Tamimim, if you eat from the kasha of Tomchei Tamimim, you can never enjoy Olam Hazeh again. <laughs> and like, it's funny and it's, it's not supposed to be dark or like negative, but it has a meaning behind it, which is once you've seen truth, it demands to be heard. It demands to be seen and you can't run away from it, which is basically you can no longer be in denial. When I learned Hasidus in general, when I learned these two, my marim specifically, the first one, and interestingly, they're both by the Friedrich Rebbe. I think I have a very special connection with the Friedrich Rebbe. I really appreciate his fire. He was so just straight to the point. Don't lie to yourself. <laughs> and I love that. I don't know how that's different from the Rebbe, but I really appreciate that. And I learned these two my marim. The first was Basi Lagani from the Friedrich Rebbe's last will and testament, which is Basi Lagani, and Kol Hamar Ba'echad, which is a mimer about Shema, the meaning of Shema. And I was just struck by the scope of truth. 
how they didn't leave anything out. There was nowhere to run after learning those Maimarum. After getting lost in those Maimarum, you can't like, there's nowhere to go really. You have been introduced to something so true that you can't look away. Kind of like seeing the Rebbe. Like my parents tell me that when they went to visit the Rebbe, when you're around him and you see him, if he asks you to do something or tells you to do, you can't say no, not just because you're like intimidated or nervous or like afraid. When you see something that true, you really cannot forget it. I think that's what the biggest loss we had with the Rebbe is it'd be so much easier to actually see him. I had that through seeing pictures of him, but it's not the same to be around someone who's just like the Rebbe to me was like a walking safer Torah. Like the Torah is a reminder. It's truth. And you can't forget it when you learn it. And the Rebbe was like a walking version of that. So when I learned these two, my mom from the Friedrich Rebbe, and I went on to learn much more Hasidus after this, but this, these were like the two main pieces of Hasidus I ever learned. The Friedrich Rebbe did not leave anything out. He included the planets. He included the blades of grass that I walk over. He included the trees that grow in front of me. He included the worlds that I can't see. Both of these Maimarim basically speak about like the truth of the world. And after you learn them, you begin to see your environment, your surroundings differently. Kol Hamarach Be'echad and Basilagani both force you to look at the truth around you. They ask you to look at the truth and not deny it, not look away from it. And you walk away from these Maimarim not being able to see anything besides the truth in front of you. And that's exactly what happened for me. In Kol Hamarach Be'echad, the Friedrich Rebbe discusses how Havaya, who we're searching for, that part of God that we're constantly searching for, that we can't connect with, that is so elusive and mysterious and unfathomable. You can't even imagine what that part of God is. It's not something you can really connect to. The Friedrich Rebbe says that is the God that's right in front of you. That is the truth growing in front of you. That is the natural world all around you. And when you learn Hasidus, and in both of these Maram that I learned, no part of truth is left out, meaning the scope doesn't end. It goes until eternity. It goes through space and it includes the planets and like the galaxies and the Milky Way and every part of the world we live in. And I think that once we recognize that, we want to get out into the world and change the world. We want to change our surroundings. I could so see why that would be such a mind shift because when you learn about Achdus Hashem, recognizing that every single thing, as you said, like every galaxy and every planet and every blade of grass and every physical thing that we see in this world is united with Hashem, sort of transforms the way you look at things and things aren't separate from each other, but they are all part of this like one greater truth. So even just what you mentioned about the Rebbe, that when you look at the Rebbe, you see that human expression of truth. And the more you learn Hasidus, the more you sort of train your mind to see the unity between everything in this world and how it relates to our mission on this planet. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear how when this Achdus Hashem, this concept of unity of Hashem, God being present in every single physical thing in this world began to impact you on a personal level in a way that you took a look at it and said, wait, this is not just like a nice concept that I learned in high school, but this is something that could change my life. After I learned that, I really felt like I was enlightened. Wow. I changed my life. I see the world in the most truthful way possible. And again, since I was pretty young, like I've been fixated on what's true. I really wanted to know what's true. Why am I here? What am I doing here? What's the truth of my existence? And also I wanted to mention from before that like both of those, my marm kind of pose you with a question that's uncomfortable for me. It was kind of uncomfortable for me. It kind of, it just pushes you out of any kind of denial that you possibly have. And this is going to connect to the personal side of things. It asked me this question of like, why are you willing to give up your life for something that you don't necessarily want to live your life for? And it's an inconsistency. It's almost like a contradiction that to me drove me crazy. Why I've learned all about this. I went to Poland for four weeks with my parents. We went to 10 different camps and we heard stories from Holocaust survivors about people, Jews who were walking to the gas chambers and saying Shema Yisrael. And we know they're into crusades and 
any time Jews ever had to give up their lives, many Jews gave up their lives for God willingly, saying Shema Yisrael or refusing to convert to another to Christianity or another religion. And some of those Jews were not religious at all. We're not observant. We're not affiliated. And that I wondered, there are some things that will never change. I know for a fact, and we say this when we say Shema Yisrael, again, that's another like thing we're supposed to think about. But we say, if I had to, God forbid, it should never happen. But I would 1000% give my life up for Judaism. It's not even, it doesn't even feel like a choice. It feels like something I would just naturally do, like breathing. Because there's something so true to me that will never change. And that is that Hashem is real. That the Torah is real. And I have reminders about of that all over me. But just there have been years in my life where I, I didn't live consciously like that. There's so this inconsistency that this mimer brought up for me, that Kohamar Ba'achad and Basi Logani said to me, like, Hashem is everything. That God that you're searching for, which is Havaya, that's God that you can't connect to, that well, technically, that God that is part of Arach Anpin and Atik Yomen and Atzilos, that God is actually right in front of your face. You don't have to look very far. That tree growing in front of you is like, say hello to Elokus, right in front of you. You can't run away from it because all those excuses we give ourselves, like, I can't find God and I had the worst day ever and I don't understand anything and, and they're valid. We have things that are painful and there's a lot of reasons, there's tons of reasons why people would not believe in God. There's a lot of pain in the world. You don't necessarily see God right in front of you and Chassidus comes and changes that. No, you see God right in front of you. Open your eyes. Don't give yourself an excuse. The Brady Pepper says to your face, Havaya is Elohim, is Teva, is nature. Open your eyes. You cannot run away from it. So that fact, Tanya, after re- learning those my mom, I could not walk away from that. I promise. And I genuinely, this is where I want to segue into the personal part. I genuinely believed that I was enlightened completely. Wow. I am living a truthful life a thousand percent because I look at that blade of grass. I know exactly where it comes from. And I started teaching. That's when the third soul exploded. I started teaching everyone, everywhere, men and women, mostly women. I started teaching online, on Instagram, on Facebook, in real time, in real life, in my apartment, in my parents' house, in Englewood, where I grew up, in New York City, where I moved, in Crown Heights, where I had friends, everywhere and anywhere I could teach. Wow. I taught, there is nothing, ain't Odmavada, we need Mashiach, this is enough. So before we segue into the personal part, I want to introduce you to that truth that I was like, oh my God, I can't run away from this. This truth, this MS, which is on the Rebbe's face, which is on my bookshelf in my apartment, which is in my chayinu, on the train. I cannot run away. It's in front of my face. I can't run away from this truth. That is chassidus to me. And I want to emphasize this because when we go into the personal part, I want to say that this avayda Hashem of MS, of, wow, this avayda of looking at your window and saying, wow, ain't no bother. it's amazing. There's nothing but Hashem. That is what Mashiach is, by the way, when the knowledge of God will cover, cover the earth like the waters cover the seabed. That's a prophecy from Yeshayahu. We all know about God. And I, Tanya, genuinely believed, and I still do believe, that was my part in bringing Mashiach. I learned very quickly because Hashem, I think, really does have a personal relationship with each of us. He pushed me to go even, even further. I thought I was at the t- I had reached like the Mount Everest of truth, of MS. I was there. I arrived. I learned those my mom. I saw the world through the lens, through the eyes of my soul. I really did. I keep by that word. I did the Avaita, the Avaita Hashem to see God everywhere. I did it. I pushed myself. And somehow along the way, there was a lot of things that contributed to this. There was my trip to Poland, Austria, Germany, and another country, which I forgot. My parents took me and it was unforgettable. I will never forget it for the rest of my life. It kind of ruined my life for like a year. Um, But again, like when things are dismantled, it's only to be rebuilt again. There's a few things that contributed to this deeper understanding of what this MS means. But there's a few things that happened that really took this a step further for me. And I actually... 
call me crazy. Okay. <laughs> but like a lot of times I'm like, don't say this out loud. People are going to think you're insane. I really think that when the Rebbe said that Mashiach was here, that the Friedrich Rebbe said Mashiach was here, we just need to polish the buttons. I really think this is the last step because Tanya, if you look around, we have actualized, we have brought that MS out into the world. All of us, I'm not the only one who learns. We can't ignore MS anymore and we're going to show it. We build Chabad houses in every city. Almost every Jew on earth probably knows about the 613 commandments or the giving of the Torah, even if they're not observant. We're on our way to Mashiach. There's a second side to that Avaitis Hashem coin. There's two sides to that coin. I stopped on the first side. I said, wow, Basi Lagani, why do I, why am I willing to give up my life for something that I haven't thought about in seven months? That's interesting. That's an inconsistency. That's a contradiction in my life that I want to kind of look at for a minute. And it stopped there and I didn't flip the coin over. Oh. And you see what I'm saying? I stopped there and I didn't flip it over, which I think is the second step and the most important step in our Abayda Hashem. I think that line that you said, if I'm willing to die for this, then can I also live for it, is such a powerful shift because as you said, it comes with two sides of a coin and the way you began to live for it with thirsty souls and really taking your teaching seriously and sharing that truth seriously and just like putting yourself out there to share this truth or this enlightenment that you had seen. I love the way you said, I really felt like I had arrived. I feel like a lot of people experience that aha moment with Torah or Hasidus where they're like, oh my gosh, I get it. I get what I want to live for. And then taking it a step further to actually implement that exactly. awareness of Achdus Hashem is so intense In your life, in places that are not so pretty, not so holy, so to say. Right. This is why I say... That self-confidence is holy. I think that's part of Avaita Hashem. If our life is the most important thing, if our life being a happy, healthy life, a productive life, a beautiful life is most important to God, that means we have to start to realize that those human parts of our lives are part of MS. That means self-confidence is holy because it, that's what stands behind us, who we pick in our marriage, who we pick as a partner. Our self-esteem affects how we're going to live our life. My point here is that Avaita Hashem doesn't just look like opening a Chabad house. It doesn't just look like Doing Kritas. When I was at this enlightened moment, I never missed Kritas. I never missed like Rambam. I was learning so much, teaching so much, strengthening my kashras and my tzniyas. And all along, Tanya, inside, all along, the other side of the Vita Shem coin was completely neglected. 1,000% neglected. So, I mean, the other side was, I had gone through, before I talk about that, I know that's a little bit personal. Get personal. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. We're going to get personal. That's where the life lessons are. It's true. So my point here, before I go into the personal part, is that the Avaita Hashem is not only like the holy stuff, like the quote unquote, everyone who's listening to this, I'm quoting with my fingers, (laughs) the quote unquote holy stuff, like opening a chalash and doing chitas. There's so much more. Believe it or not, that is the beginning. I think the polishing the buttons the Rebbe was talking about, in my personal opinion, is going deep into ourselves and facing the truth inside of ourselves, not just in the trees around us, not just opening Chabad houses, which is incredibly important, but going deeper. And I realized this when I was like 19 years old, when I came back from Israel, I started doing this thirsty soul on my father's Facebook account. He has a bunch of followers and I was like gaining momentum. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to open my own channel called the thirsty soul. I'm not going to do it from Shmuley Botev's Facebook page. And I was going through a real feminist empowered phase in my life. And it's not a phase. I still feel, I still care the most about women. They're my passion in life along with Torah and Chassidus, but there's this video that I just watched before I signed into this squadcast, <laughs> and it's one of my favorite videos that I've ever done. And when I watch it, I get a little bit sad. And I just watched it, and I again got a little bit sad. I cut my hair to my ears, 
I was wearing like dark lipstick and dark eyeshadow. And I felt like so empowered. The funny thing is I even went a step to combat this, what I'll tell you in a second, me cutting my hair to my ears. It was always down past my waist. Me cutting my hair to my ears was like my statement of defiance in the face of like beauty addiction and like letting beauty define me. And I was like, you know what? It doesn't define me. I'm going to do it. I literally came home one day and my parents were like, what'd you do? <laughs> You'll never get married. <laughs> but like I came home with like no hair and I was like, no, no more makeup. I don't have to wear dresses. I can do whatever I want. I gave this video about how women are going to bring Mashiach and how the worldly influences have sometimes made us feel unworthy, so unworthy and so second choice. And I brought about all these sources from Hasidus and everywhere about how women are going to bring Mashiach. And Sarah was the princess of the world. She wasn't just Yiska, which is a vision. People looked at her beauty. She wasn't just Sarai, which is my princess. Avram said, you're my princess. Hashem said, no, she's not Sarai. She's Sarah. She's a princess of the whole world. Everyone is going to recognize Sarah's magnificence. We have to embody what we know is true. We have to get out into the world and share what we know is true. Because women have a depth that is unparalleled. We have a magnificence, a gentility, a sensitivity. We can nurture and nourish the world in a way that no one else can. And we have to be confident. And we have to embody the woman that came before us, walk in their footsteps. And Tanya, I promise you, at that point in my life, I valued beauty and fitness and the size of my body more than anything else in the world. And again, I had arrived, so to say. I had arrived at MS. I learned every word the Rebbe uttered. I learned every word the Friedrich Rebbe ever wrote down. I saw the blades of grass growing in like Elokus splendor. I had arrived at MS and I was going to bring Mashiach. And I never flipped that coin over. I remember thinking, I think maybe I was on the way to the gym. I didn't want to leave the house without like a face full of makeup or I was feeling very insecure about maybe having gained weight or something. I eventually had to get the help that I needed to get out of this. It goes a lot deeper than that. It's not just like, oh, I was obsessed with beauty. I was obsessed with beauty and I valued it above all else. At the same time, I was telling every woman, I remember getting messages from mother saying, God willing, I hope to raise my child, my daughter to grow up like you. And I had tears in my eyes, like God forbid, I didn't say this, but in my mind, I said, I don't want your daughter to grow up like me. I spend two hours at the gym every day. I can't, wow. it's compulsive. I can't help it because I really believe that I'm, I'm valued by the size of my waist. I'm 40 pounds heavier than I was when I was 19 years old, but I was feeling so empty about myself. It was such a contradiction in my life that I was learning so much MS and I was like the Rebbe and Mashiach and the world and Torah's MS and Animal Valdo. And we have to remember one of my favorite stories of the entire Tanakh was Eliyahu Navi and Har Carmel who told the Jews, take a side. I remember saying this in one of my videos, Eliyahu Navi was standing on Har Carmel and he said to the Jewish people, pick a side because they were coming to the base of Mikdash and also serving Baal after hours on the weekends. He said, you can, you right. can keep serving Baal, it's okay. But don't be a faker. Don't have inconsistencies in your life. It's not okay. Pick a side because you can't have two things at the same time. They cannot coexist. And when I thought about how I was giving lectures to women through the lines of Hasidic Tanya, not just like feminism. And I had a Hasidic feminism. I had a Sari Imenu feminism. I had a Rachel and Leah and Sarah and Rivka and Nekeva Tzaviv Gever, which is a prophecy about Mashiach, about how the world and Shrina, the feminine aspect of the world will come out when Mashiach comes. I believe that. At the same time, I was spending two hours at the gym. I could not eat anything besides like a salad. Wow. I, had, I had real issues that I wasn't confronting. And it took over my life. Besides learning Hasidus, I really just cared about the way I looked. I mean that. Not in a, way, in a vain way, in a pained way, where it came from a painful place in my heart. This is such a beautiful expression of 
this entire idea. Because as you said, step one is recognition. Everything in this world is united with God, every blade of grass, everything I see, et cetera. And then step two, as you're saying, is equally important. Is there a part of me inside of myself that doesn't really see that unity of God in my own life and in my own personality and in my own self-worth, et cetera? And while you were literally championing this message and championing Chrysidus, you were still struggling with the unity of God within you, which I think that it's normal because we're all still struggling with that unity. It's something that like, as much as we try to pick a side, the inconsistency is something that we're constantly trying to ease, constantly trying to bring the awareness of unity into our own personal selves. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you had this awakening where you decided that you wanted to start integrating recognition of godliness within you. What did that look like? What did that process look like of trying to move away from the world's perspective of you and move towards the godly perspective? I'm still struggling with that. It's been four years and I'm still struggling with that. It's not about struggling and us like trying to change our life. The problem is we can't face it. I couldn't look at it. I could not look at it because it had been like that for years and I refused to look at it. I was consciously ignoring it. I was consciously, subconsciously ignoring it, denying it. I couldn't look at it in the face. I could not look at it. And I was looking at everything else and I was pretending it wasn't there. I think that is the next step. I think addressing it, that it just looking at it, even if you're not going to change it immediately, wait 10 years, look at it, know that it's there because I did that with the whole world around me. I thought the world was scary and dangerous. No, it's really bussy Lagani. It's a garden. It's Hashem's bridal chamber where you're most vulnerable and most open with another human being. That was real to me. And at the same time, what I'm trying to say is I projected that truth everywhere else besides myself. Wow. It took me years to even look at this issue in my life, which affected me greatly. I can't even go into the ways that it affected me. I really can't. It's almost like too much. And I'm still dealing with it now. I've never even spoken about this in public, but I really completely define myself by the way that I looked, the way that I thought I should look. And that is a part of Chassidus to me. That is a part of Avodah Hashem. I think that we cannot, obviously, learning Kikas is beyond, it's priceless. It's beautiful. It's learn Torah. And it's what we're here to do. That is not where it ends. You have to turn that MS inwards. You have to turn that MS inwards. And that's what I did. And my life, Tanya, is so different today. And whenever I speak, I'm like, I don't mean it in a cliche way. I mean it in every cliche way right now. My life is <laughs> changed my life. <laughs> It literally changed my life. I brought that MS homebound. I brought it inward. And I took that octosabori that Hashem is one. Everything is inside God. Everything is one with God. I took that and said, I'm included in that. It can be that the size of my waist defines who I am. And if, if I am not going to the gym, then I feel like garbage. I don't feel like a human being anymore. And again, this is extreme, but I think that we're living in a world that makes a lot of women feel this way. I know maybe I had a more extreme case, but I think a lot of women define themselves by the way they look. And they can't escape that like mental prison. But how did you turn the truth inward, as you said? How did you begin? You recognize the dissonance between your perspective on the world and your perspective of yourself and how your perception of yourself was not aligned with the way you saw the world. How did you begin to bridge that gap and begin to bring truth inward into something that was your personal service and not just your mission to this world and what you were giving, but also what you were using to impact your relationship with God and yourself? I began, and I'm still in this process now, truly. I began by just looking at it, just admitting that it was there. I don't know how else to say it. I just, I did not deny it. 
just like I stopped denying all those things that I always knew were true, Jewish wise and world wise. I think that as a Jewish people in the world, I think we have to start recognizing, looking inward and taking care of ourselves. And not even it's not self-care. I just think that we, we have to value bringing that facetious inwards because there's a lot of inconsistencies in all of our personal lives and it affects other people. We can't just have people over for Shabbos and give them truth. Let's turn that inwards. What is some of this generational trauma that we're passing down that is not okay? Spiritual mentors or spiritual authority figures who share truth with the whole world, who are helping everyone, who people look up to, who people go to speak with if they need guidance or advice. And maybe that spiritual educator or that authority figure has a son or a daughter who won't talk to them or who has who never faced anything inside of them. And you can see those issues in real time and no one is looking at them. I think that that's a part of Vites Hashem. I really do. It's a part of bringing Mashiach. That is a part of world peace is dealing with the things that maybe have been passed down from our great grandfather. It's such an important point because I think that we aren't malicious in this at all. I think that we genuinely see the truth in the world. We genuinely see the truth of God's reality in the world and we're excited to share it with others. And then the really tough work, and it's called Vida, is the inner service that we do dealing with our own character flaws, our own relationships, making sure that there's wholeness within us and not just encouraging wholeness in the world, but also encouraging wholeness within our families, within our self-perception, within our relationship with our bodies. If we really believe that God exists everywhere, then obviously our body is worthy regardless of its size and it has a mission in this world that has nothing to do with the way it looks. Um, And all those things are true, but it's so hard to internalize because of conditioning or internal character traits or whatever it is. We struggle for a reason, but we can still welcome God's presence into our internal life. And we definitely have that responsibility. I think the reason why it falls to the wayside is not out of malice, but just out of how challenging it is. It's literally a lifelong, I mean, as you said, you said you're still dealing with whatever you have to deal with. And we all have our things. This message of Achdus Hashem is something I think that I recently started confronting, that is there any corner of my life that I'm perceiving as separate from my relationship with God, separate from my whole self that I'm pushing to the wayside as sort of like a small character defect that doesn't really play a role in the rest of my life. But it's not true. You have to confront those things and you have to recognize them as part of your mission in this world, the same way the teaching is and the same way the outreach is. It's polishing the buttons, as you said. Exactly. And something that brought me to this realization also, I remember giving a class where I was like, we have always been the spiritual backbone of the Jewish people. It is our mission to carry this nation into Mashiach. I really believe it. I brought up like examples, and these are some of my favorite examples that I love to say, no matter where I am, that we didn't participate. And when Hashem removed the clouds of glory over the camp, he only removed them from the men's side, not against, you know, not anything against <laughs> men, but it's factually, historically correct. And the Jewish woman never had to lie down in holes dug on the earth. Every Jewish woman went into the Holy Land because we were not a part of that. We were always sure when you see us in Israel, we had tambourines waiting by our door. There were hundreds of thousands of women waving tambourines through the ocean. How did they get, all get them? They were all sure of the redemption. And the Rebbe actually said that we are neshamas of the same neshamas of those women. We had that same fire in us to bring the redemption. And I see that all around me. And at the same time, while I was saying all these things, I didn't even see that in myself. I was telling other women to see that in themselves, like embrace your inner femininity. Like you don't know who you are. You're a part of like this treasure house of spirituality and greatness and colossus. And meanwhile, I never saw that in myself because I didn't want to look at it. Again, not out of malice, just because it was too challenging for me. 
that Akta Savari didn't stretch far enough into myself. And I never applied it to myself. And that is what I call MS when you can do that, when you start that. That is MS to me. I love that because even when you were initially speaking about the mimer that transformed the way you saw the world, the only thing that changed was the way you saw the world. It was just the perception of what is energizing the blade of grass. So here, the shift is really just the shift in perspective that if we want to bring the unity of God into our lives, it's just changing the way we see ourselves and our struggles and our lives and our relationships as part of that picture, just like the galaxies are all enlivened by God and have a specific mission. So too, every area of our lives do as well. Yeah. I've learned, Tanya, that truth never changes. It will never change. All that can change is how we attune ourselves to it. So I was never defined by my body. I never will be. I'm so much more than that. I have a soul. I'm a woman. All that changed was my being able to face that and bring that MS straight down into my heart, into my soul. And I think that all of us can polish our buttons, like the rabbi said, by looking deep inside ourselves, bringing that octa sabari, bringing that truth, that MS of all-inclusive truth. There's nothing outside of God, straight deep inside our souls, into ourselves and see ourselves that way. What message do you tell yourself when you're struggling to see the presence of God within your body or your perspective on how you should look or what you need to do to look that way, et cetera? That's a good question. What do I tell myself? I tell myself that life is so much bigger than that. And it's so much more meaning than that. And it's just not the true way to live. I've lived that way and it's empty and it's not nice and it's not MS. It's not truth. And I know, I don't feel, I know that it's not the way to live. And that really pulls me back into myself. Nice. Rachelaya, thank you. I want to ask, closing off, what practical tips would you give to me, to anyone listening, struggling to integrate this awareness of God into the deeper corners of our psyche and our lives and our own personal baggage? Specifically, what practical advice would you give on how to confront this idea in our own lives. So it's very easy to see the dissonance and see, okay, I'm recognizing godliness in the world and the need for wholeness, but I'm not necessarily bringing it into my own life. So then what now? (laughs) So I recognize that. What now? (laughs) What's that step to bringing that truth forward, basically? Yeah. Like what's the bridge? I don't know if this is practical advice because again, this is something that I feel like I didn't choose. It's kind of like my life couldn't move forward without facing this. It was kind of like my life was at a little bit of a standstill. I was trying to progress and it wasn't happening for me. Honestly, Tanya, I think that it's going to come to us no matter what. If you're not going to confront those things yourself, I think they're going to confront you. I think that the axis that this world revolves on is MS. And I think it's going to catch up with you no matter what, in a good way, not in a negative way, in a beautiful way. So besides that, I think that God takes care of us by holding up a mirror and saying, hello, you need to deal with this and you need to deal with it now. It can take you 40 years. It's okay. Let's start. My practical advice. This is my practical advice. Take notice of any destructive behaviors or hurtful behaviors in your life. It could be anything. It could be a mood that you fall into. It could be a temper. It could be eating, it could be exercising. It could be dyeing your hair. It could be anything. Look at any pattern in your life that you don't like. That is exactly what I did. I realized, wow, there's a pattern. I would rather skip family dinners and go to the gym so I can like sleep better tonight. That's not a pattern I want in my life. And I knew that that did not align with my values of what I knew was true. Okay. I like that. So confronting that thing that's inconsistent with your greater truth and just confronting the dissonance there so that you can start to sort of align it a little bit closer to what your true value and perspective is. 
Yes, a thousand percent. Yeah. I like that. Seeing any closing words. Yes, I have closing words to the women who are listening to really build yourself up, to realize how precious you are, especially you are that you deserve good, you deserve goodness in your life, and really work towards that and bring that Hasidus home. The Hasidus or the Torah, the truth that you learn, bring it home, bring it to yourself. Nice. Bring it into yourself. I like mm-hmm. it. It's like, bring it home. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, oh, it's so nice if it's out in the field, but bring it home. That's the point. The point is that we bring it home. Thank you, Rachelaya. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing. And I know that it's a little out of your comfort zone because you're a teacher. So to get a little personal is like, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you being willing to go there. I know that it's so valuable for people to hear. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's such for an sure. honor, Tanya. Elokai zakinina betoratcha uvimitzotecha lechaberet nishmati tamidecha mechaber lechaber tamidecha. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find me on Instagram at the Tanya Project or via email at humanandholy at gmail if you enjoyed today's episode and could take a quick minute to leave a rating or review, it would mean a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Divine awareness is about letting God in, into our human battles. The corners we don't necessarily want to look at. There is not an inch of our internal world that is separate from him. If we can believe that God wants to be revealed in every corner of the world, then we can trust that he wants to be revealed in every corner of our lives too.